but uh, we're just getting booted up here. Dave, how are you doing? I want to make sure your uh, your your microphone's working. Hey, Brandon, can you hear me? Okay. Good stuff. You sound you sound great, man. Perfect. I think we got so, we got some folks coming in. It's good to see everybody. Uh, hello, future buzzes down there. Elizabeth, hello. Tata's down there. And with that, good morning, or I guess good afternoon from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport, aka it's Brandon D. It is Friday, December 1st, and you're listening to episode 103 of the Hashgraph Enthusiast Show, an interview with David Cohen live on Spaces. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other platforms to hear past episodes, including the recording of today's conversation. Also, make sure to catch the weekly Hashgraph Enthusiast News every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, live on Spaces as well. And in all those same places, get everything you need to know about the show at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. For folks listening live now, take a moment, share the Spaces with your friends, especially now that uh, we've got the new link. It's handy. Make sure folks know. And... um if you've got interesting questions for our guests today, click the comment button at the bottom right. And uh, if it's super duper interesting, I'll ask uh, Dave live on the show and we'll see what he has to say. No guarantees and no dumb questions allowed. That's my job. And for folks listening to the recording, leave a comment and break down your thoughts on what we talk about today. Let's keep the conversation going after the show. Um, and as usual, I don't do pre-interviews. Dave doesn't know any of the questions I'm going to ask. Uh, we like to just keep it, you know, pretty chill, nice conversation. But I do have uh, a first question for you, uh, Dave, and I'm I'm interested to know first off, you know, how's it going, and what is the most interesting thing happening in your life right now? <laughs> uh, thanks, Brandon. Uh, what's the most interesting thing in my life right now? Well, um, I'm planning to go to the New Orleans Jazz Festival. So I had to decide whether or not I was going to pay $2,400 to see the Rolling Stones for a VIP ticket or just buy a regular ticket. So I just, I just bought a regular ticket, unfortunately, because it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. Anyway, yeah, it's nuts. Um, but it, it's, it's worth it if anybody hasn't gone. It's a cool festival. But yeah, the, that's the answer to your question. Unless you want me to talk about you know work, and then we can talk about work. I think we'll be talking about work plenty. Um, so just a quick intro for Dave, known as a true trailblazer in the decentralized software and distributed ledger technology space. Dave is the founder and CTO of Takeon, the, you know, as some folks have called it, the quote, on-chain Dropbox uh, funded by the U.S. government. He's also one of the original key advisors to Hedera, and I would say an OG H. Barbarian. His work spans from creating the first artificial intelligence-based software platform to launching the world's first machine-to-machine -machine software platform to pioneering the world's first virtual power plant to assisting a merger and acquisition that would create the largest electric vehicle charging services company in the world. Dave's also spoken at many venues such as Renewable Energy Finance Forum on Wall Street, MIT, TEDx, Singularity University. We got a lot to unpack in this conversation, both looking backwards into the history of Hedera and also looking forwards at what is to come. If there was ever Hashgraph enthusiasts, it would be Dave. But I have my first question for you. And as we all know, many folks in Web3 operate undoxed or anonymous. 
And I've had this random follower at AnonymousDave71 for a long time on, uh, on Twitter, uh, always supporting the show and leaving great replies and always getting me thinking. And all I noticed was this funny PFP with the wig. But when I was back in LA, uh, when I was in LA back in October for the Hedera community meetup, um, shout out to Elizabeth down there, Hello Future Live. Um, I ended up in a conversation with this cool guy who shared some kind words about the show. And we ended up chatting about music, how hard it is to get a band together, and kind of reminiscing about the quote-unquote old days of Hedera. And it wasn't long before the dots were connected. And suddenly I realized, oh, I was talking with an original advisor to Hedera. Uh, and I was talking to Dave. And immediately the conversation evolved into some really crazy stuff. But soon enough, I was pulled away to another conversation. I didn't get the chance to keep going down the rabbit hole. But here we are. And here's my first question. Now that you are no longer really anonymous, are you going to keep the iconic profile picture of the uh, sunglasses and the wig there? <laughs> of course. I mean, that that all came back from because I was one of the original people on the Telegram group. And if anyone remembers back in 2000. 17 18 there was a lot of really strange things happening on telegram and i just decided i didn't want to be uh i didn't want to be exposing myself to the telegram freak show and then not that twitter is any better <laughs> but um <laughs> i i see no po point in changing anything i think people that know me know me and um maybe now after this cast people can be clear on who it is um, the people I care about, which are mostly mostly now the people in the Hedera ecosystem. There's other other projects out there that I certainly somewhat respect, but I'm really kind of a I don't know. I'm kind of it's hard for me to really look at other projects. To tell you the truth, <laughs> but yeah, the answer the answer is yeah. That that's from a Halloween. See, the funny thing is that. I took that picture and I used to have a, the, I have dachshund now, but I had a little dachshund puppy and I, and I don't know if he was that, I think I took that out of the picture, but the, the funny part of that picture is that the, there used to be this meme called what, what's been seen can't be unseen. <laughs> that was kind All of right, what, that, I, yeah, that's what yeah. I was looking at when I took that picture anyway. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I love it. And what I was going to say is, one thing that's that I was, I'm really looking forward to about this conversation is kind of like there's this there's this kind of history to this network and this in this community and I think you've really been there um, for a lot of it and I kind of want to like you know go back to the beginning a little bit and you had mentioned to me last we spoke um, back in the summer of 2017 when funding uh, when when founding uh, Takeyon you had explored all kinds of DLTs like, you know, Ethereum and IOTA. Um, and I think you were actually an advisor to IOTA as well. And later that year, you met Mance and Lehman and had a light bulb moment. And now I'm super curious about two things. What happened during that meeting to cause the light bulb moment? And what series of events led you to become an early advisor to Hedera? Like what, what roles did you kind of play as an early advisor? Yeah, very interesting question. So when I got into crypto, I wasn't looking at it from a, I want to buy some coins or I want to buy Bitcoin. I had looked at Bitcoin in the past and I was one of those people who just maybe was a little bit too dense to invest back in uh, 2010 timeframe. But we were looking specifically because we had a project um, to build infrastructure to protect information. So my background, I won't get deep into it, but it's 
artificial intelligence and and smart electric grids is mostly what I spent my time on, as well as electric vehicles and stuff like that, distributed energy systems, I guess. And I was what I noticed about artificial intelligence back then, before AI really went nuts in the last couple of years, is that without a trusted data platform, you're kind of screwed. You know, thinking about all the f- deep fakes and all the things going into AI. I mean, we're, we are kind of screwed if we don't have a data platform that we can trust. So I was looking for where's the project that I could build it on. Literally, it was as simple as it was. And so I joined IOTA before they did their $1.7 billion token launch and everybody was all excited. And I thought IOTA was really cool. And then I realized the founders were just not, they didn't have what it took to, to really, um, pull off, you know, anything that we wanted to do with, with some of the, you know, big players we were talking to. And so then I met Manson Lehman and, and also we were working on, I don't know if anyone knows this, but we evaluated all the asynchronous Byzantine ABFT consensus protocols, because one of our requirements was to have ABFT, because if you have a partition in the network and everything goes down, you want to continue uh, with integrity. And so our system requires that. And so we built our own ABFT consensus mechanism. And then I met Manson Lehman and I'm like, I just talked to Lehman for about three minutes and I just completely just changed everything. I was, I told my partners, I'm like, we're working with Hedera on this. We're going to build it on Hedera. And at the time we couldn't really do that. So we built you know, so that's really the story. I mean, it was as simple as Mance. Mance and I had some real interesting kind of uh, um, commonality in some of the stuff we did in the past, including Lehman with artificial intelligence, working with um, governments and working with uh, Air Force and stuff like that. So anyway, there was so so much affinity. And I just I just saw the future there in, in Mance and Lehman. And I decided, okay, we're going to build on this. And it took us a while to figure out how to do that because, you know, initially it wouldn't have been possible to do what we, we were prototyping in the, in the early days on Hedera, but it looked like we maybe would take a private instance of Hedera and then run it. And then I real when they launched the Hedera consensus service, then I realized we could replace the, cons- the, the ABFT consensus algorithm that we built and funded by the National Science Foundation's distributed consensus group with some pretty smart people helping us. Um, so anyway, that that's a long story short. It, it was that simple. Um, it was the, the best possible mathematical way to solve the problem we needed to solve. And here we are. That's awesome. And and real quick, so when you when you look at like, I think something I'm really curious about is like, when when somebody is you know an original advisor to Hedera, what kind of capacity was that in, or or what kind of what kind of did that did that look like? I mean, in the early days, Mance and Lehman were swirls, right? And then they formed Hedera Hashgraph, and then there was advisors, and there was a, a at, at those times I was traveling around a lot doing before uh, whatever you want to call that thing that I want like like to mention. Um, Basically, I was traveling internationally, going to all the crypto events and evangelizing and talking about Hedera and what we were doing. And so then when they formalized, and then I think it was 2018, they had the big New York City gig, um, that all kind of wound down a little bit. And they, they sort of re, reorganized the, um, after they did their 
their money, their huge money raise and everything. And so then it was just really more being um, just kind of helping them with, with different things. But really, it wasn't very formal. I mean, it was kind of, um, it was a really small group of people. And um, it was really just more designed. I, I was more interested in just evangelizing and helping to get the word out for Hedera and, and, hash, and the Hashgraph algorithm at the time. And you wouldn't believe the amount of resistance that I got. You, I guess you would believe. Yeah. Just just like now. I mean, that people would just blank out when you started talking about anything but Ethereum. If it's not Ethereum, right. I don't want to talk to you. It's like, um, so yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a lot of um, just sort of uphill battle, but I've seen this before in other industries. I saw it in renewable energy. Um, I've seen it in the cannabis industry where people are just denial of, of new technology or new things. Um, electric vehicles, the same. Crypto is just another one of those technologies where we all know it's going to be the foundation of Web3, but everybody's afraid of it or everybody wants to kill it because they're afraid of it or they're threatened by it, right? So, yeah, um, back in the old days, it was really just me just going out and, and trying to to evangelize and speak about Hedera. So th there's a fair amount of stuff online if, that people search my name and I'd probably find about 10 conferences that I spoke on behalf of Hedera. That's awesome. Yeah, that, I think that that, that paints a, a very kind of, um, that that adds a little bit to this picture that's been painted of the early days of Hedera. Like we get drips and drabs from all sorts of various people, but your perspective is really interesting because there's also kind of this organic community component to it. I remember like when we were in LA, we were just kind of talking about some of those things from a community standpoint. And like, you know, I want to explore the past of Hedera a little longer with you because most folks in the Hedera community arrived like, you know, 2021, 2022. I arrived a little earlier, but again, like you were saying, you were really here kind of day one. So what was it like before there there was a Hedera community kind of as we know it today? I think passing along this kind of history will help future people in this community kind of understand where this community came from, what those early days were like. And like, what are your memories from those early days? What kind of roles did you play in the community? I remember you were talking about managing telegram groups and different things, but what was that? What was, what was it like watching those original seeds of the Hedera community be planted? I mean, I would just say, you know, to try to just keep it kind of concise is that most of the everything that was going on before the mainnet launch was really all about the hashgraph algorithm and it was about educating people about how why that was game changing and, and then they, you know then it kind of shifted to you know if we were going to run this because i don't think manch and lima were originally thinking of running a public network i think they were thinking of going down the path of we're just going to we're just going to build this and, and then sell it to private companies because it was so powerful as a platform. And then I think they got kind of, you know, enlightened. And a lot of times the community was helping the core team understand crypto, you know, right? I mean, the reason right. I got the reason I got a really quick understanding of crypto is because I got involved with IOTA and I saw the power of just distributed crowdsourced getting anything done. It's just so much more, it's happened so much faster and so much more elegantly that I'm just, I'm still blown away from it about, you know, DAOs and the, and the whole concept of, I call strength in numbers. But so really, it was really more about the algorithm. And that's all I really cared about at the time. And then when they started talking about the network, 
I think it became very clear that not only would this idea of the governance of having governing council members be really unique and be really a strong notion to kind of build credibility, but also if this thing is really doing the type of transactions that we think it's going to do, the node operators are going to do really well. Like if you talk about passive income, you know, I, I saw some of the numbers in the beginning and that's kind of why I was so excited about it. But yeah, that's, you know, mostly for me, it was Telegram. And then I was focused mostly on my own startup, you know, because uh, we bootstrapped it and we got most all of our funding came from innovation capital. So, you know, we raised a little bit of private money, but, you know, we never had the ability to raise the type of money that Hedera did. If we did, we could have, you know, we could have done a lot of much more things much faster. Um, but we're now on that track where we're going to go after VC money because we're kind of... Um, I would call it Web3 VC money where, you know, we're planning on minting a token and launching our own um, um, mainnet as well next year. So, yeah, I'm, I, I could go on and on, but I think I want to people probably want to get to maybe some of the meat of what we're doing. Maybe I don't know, but um Oh yeah, I think this stuff this stuff is uh, fascinating. And again, I want to respect your time and make sure we talk about uh, Tachyon. But uh, I think that if we do have time, we'll definitely kind of circle back to it. But before we chat about Tachyon, I just wanted to maybe um, create a bit create a bit of a kind of contrast here. Of if you could travel back in time to 2017 and tell past Dave about what Hedera has achieved as of December 2023. And all the ways the ecosystem changed, how do you think past Dave would react? Would he be underwhelmed? Would his mind be blown? Would he have expected something totally different? Really good question. I, at the time, believed that this thing would have surpassed Ethereum two or three years ago. Um, and I also believed that the regulatory, I knew the regulatory situation was going to blow up and that people that were doing things were going to be we're going to be hurting from some of the decisions they were making. Like we filed with the SEC um, a Reg D filing for our small money raise from the beginning, and before Hedera even did, because I didn't I didn't want to take any regulatory risk. Um, but I don't think I'd be surprised at all. I think the surprising part would have been why isn't Hedera number one on Coin Market Cap? Is what I would have been saying because I I thought it, would, it was just like um, superior to everything else. Um, and now in retrospect, I, you know, having spent so much time with all the crypto crypto verse, I have a pretty good understanding of that. It's that, you know, if you, I understand the focus on enterprise and corporations and all that, but they've never been the innovators in any industry. They're always the startups that innovate, which, you know, that's what Manson Lehman really started as, as a startup. And, you know, retail, focus on retail is really important. And I've seen that change pretty drastically in the last couple of years. But my, my biggest surprise would have been, why didn't it happen faster? Um, why why wouldn't Hedera have hit like on the second run, uh, you know, top five or top, top three or something? Just because, I mean, look at it. I mean, it's way faster. It's way cheaper. It's, it's green. It's, it's carbon negative, for God's sake. Um, and mathematically, it's it's proven. Um, so yeah, that that's really that's the only thing I would say. Um, I, th there was no doubt in my mind that 
that when I talked after talking to Lehman that this was and then spending time looking at all the other platforms out there and watching people like Phantom try to copy their consensus. You know, I don't know if you, people know this, but I mean, Phantom literally removed stuff from their GitHub saying we should remove the the links to the Hashgraph algorithm just in case we get in trouble. I remember. I remember that was passed around. That was passed around. It was hilarious. It's just mind blowing that people can get away with this kind of stuff. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's your answer there. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think that that just, again, just touching on that is like, I think it's kind of, it, it speaks to what you said regarding um, uh, that those headwinds that the, the fact that this is such a disruptive technology is like, I think that that's much more intense than we originally anticipated because like, you know, the this industry, you know, the crypto web three industry is, is you know, arguably dependent on, you know, hidden fees and all sorts of different things. And some of these less efficient networks, you know, when you have certain efficiencies, it creates opportunities for profit. And when you have a disruptive technology like Hashgraph, it can definitely threaten that. So you think it's, it's, do you think it's a case of it's less, um, it's, it's less oomph from Hedera's end and more um, intense resistance from the other side? Yeah, it's not it's not as simple as just focus on retail. I mean, there, there's actually a lot of people made their plays around Ethereum ecosystem in the last run, and now they've got their you know they they've embedded all their early investments in Ethereum, so they don't want to see something that will that'll beat them because they're afraid right. it's gonna it's gonna affect their investment. But eventually, you know, on a on an eventualized basis, I, I couldn't tell you what which if it's going to be this bull run or the next one. I hope it's this one. I think everybody hopes it's this one. Um, there's going to be kind of a blowout in terms of just people are going to start coming on board faster than anyone's ever realized. It's just going to happen. I mean, we we've seen we've already seen a couple of things like that, but um, you, you can't deny it. It's going to it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we yeah I think that's a shared sentiment. I think we can kind of we can definitely all feel that a little bit now. Let's talk about the present. Let's talk about Takeon. Um, I've actually talked about Takeon before on the show at length, kind of when that original HBAR Foundation article came out. But I think it's been flying under folks' radar a little bit. I think maybe some in the community were aware of it. But my my thing is kind of like, I want to know more about it. I want people to kind of dive into it a little more. Um, so what was the inspiration for Takeon? Who is it for? What's the main problem you're solving and what should Hashgraph enthusiasts be most excited about? Yeah, so to cut to the chase, I mean, it's designed to be a platform that um, basically is immutable. Um, so it's a, it, we, we decided we wanted to have data safe, tamper-resistant, verifiable, and trusted over the whole life cycle of the data. And to understand that, you have to go back to what the current state of what I call decentralized storage, the file coins, the storages, the SIAs, these guys, th their stuff is not working. Um, they've got negative revenues and most of the files that they store on these things are junk files are not critical files. Their revenues are going down. Um, if you look at their, how they make revenue they're they've got a negative, like 90% of the, of the costs going to pay the node operators is just negative revenue. And some of these are in, a lot of these are in China. Um, the files can't be deleted. If you look using decentralized storage, files can't be guaranteed to be retrieved. You can, you can come up with some kind of maybe, you know, maybe it'll happen, but we can't guarantee it. 
And so, I mean, look at cloud and current distributed storage. You can't get complete file immutability. You can't get 100% availability guarantees or end-to-end -end encryption of the entire file. And I, I can explain that later. There's, a, there's something about end-to-end -end encryption, meaning from when it was created to when it's, it's actually ends up where it ends up. Um, so, like, we, we basically solved that problem. The problem we solved and patented was getting an entire computer file system as a and turning it into a blockchain. So I don't know if people know what that means, but at every Unix-based, Windows-based, Mac-based uh, computer has a file system that basically does the whole directory system where all the files are. It organizes everything about all the different objects in, in the entire computer. So we went right to, we could take that whole file system and turn it into a blockchain. And while we're doing it, we're gathering that data at wire speed. So basically the Tachyon file system that's patented, um, it cryptographically links the data at the point of creation and then cryptographically hashes it together. So while it's being, while it's being put on a blockchain, it can't be tampered. And then once it's on the blockchain, obviously you can't, you can't change it. So because we're using ABFT consensus, and now the proxy for that is using um, Hedera consensus service, which is ABFT, we have local state integrity, which means that if everything blows up and there's enough nodes to survive, then those nodes will be able to remember everything that happened when, when whatever bad thing happened, the whole Byzantine problem. So it's uh, to someone who's looking at storing an NFT, this might be like, well, I, why do I care about that? Well, the only reason you care is anybody who has anything of value that wants to store. And I think all data is valuable. Some is what's called mission critical. Some is called life critical. If you're operating a autonomous driving system for a Tesla, that's life critical. You don't want anyone tampering with that data. Our system was designed with patents around not only how to get the data into the blockchain, how to put it on a blockchain and make it so it doesn't cost $3 million for a gigabyte, and then be able to retrieve it very easily. So what we decided to do for the Web3 space was because we wanted to create a very lightweight version of what we tested with the US Air Force and what we, we built on behalf of National Science Foundation and did all these patents. We wanted to create a very easy to use Chrome browser version that connects to Hashpack. So we have that currently running. It's just a, it's a, what's called a private beta running on the, the Hedera testnet. And we have, we now have the capability to run it on the mainnet as a private beta. And we've signed up like 150 people. Those people will get early access to when we do launch our token and launch our mainnet. Um, the, we'll, there'll be things that we, we can't talk about now, but it's coming. Um, we're just trying to do things at the speed of reality and then also take into account where the market is right now. Um, you know, the market's in a pretty, um, I don't know, sort of dark before the dawn state. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, there, there's a lot of technical stuff I could talk about. The main thing that people need to know is when we run our network, it's going to be decentralized to the level of we'll probably have permission nodes in the beginning, just like Adara. But we're going to have trusted parties, possibly even including nation states um, and possibly GC members. So we can we can promote that high high level of trust. Um, any kind of Web3 metaverse data, mission critical data can be stored on it. The, the solution to storing 
enterprise mission critical data is a little bit more complex, but we actually have all that stack completed and it can be downloaded from Amazon Web Services and it runs in Google Cloud. We also received a, um, um, a nice kind of prestigious funding grant from Google uh, Cloud to kind of run this for the next two or three years. Um, so, but, but a lot of the people that are in the Hedera ecosystem are maybe more interested in DeFi and wallets and NFTs and stuff. And that's great because the current version of our light version is perfectly set up and there's an API that's not complete yet, but eventually we're going to be integrated with Citadel wallet. We hope to integrate with Hashpack. We hope to integrate with some of the DeFi platforms and all the kind of the ecosystem players, maybe Galaxy, that they have particular data that they just don't want to worry about ever having to retrieve again and they want it to be secure. Um, that's where we we fit in. But the, the, our cost structure is is either equal to or less than people like Filecoin. So we're not we're not adding a layer of oh my god this is going to be really expensive we're just saying look this is this is built correctly in, in a decentralized way because none of these distributed decentralized storage systems actually use a blockchain they use a cryptographic hash of the data and then they store it on a database or they shard it and I you know I I call it the Humpty Dumpty problem they basically you know all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put humpty together again that's your state of where we are right now <laughs> so we we i mean i almost wanted to change my tagline to that but you know i think the easiest way for people to understand where we're going is the future of web3 data is on chain because nobody's doing it and so we we kind of cracked how to do that and that's, you know, fr from a usability standpoint, the user shouldn't care. All they should care about is if I put my data on here, I can trust that it's not going to get compromised. That's what, that's what people want to know. So, you know, who knows? If you have an NFT, we don't know what these NFTs are going to be worth in 10 years. Do you want the chance of, you know, th this industry is known for one thing that was a big surprise to me because I've worked in enterprise software most of my life which is this idea of rugging. I never even heard the term before. It's like, what is that about? You know, I'm just going to disappear and I'm going to take the money and run. I mean, I guess you got fraud, but most enterprise software companies, I mean, you either go bankrupt and there's a court system that divides up and everything, or you create, you know, you take your code and you can make it so that the code's available to anybody if you go bankrupt. Um, you know, you can, you can do all these things in the enterprise world. In crypto... You know, I don't know why you trust anybody of these startups where they don't have credentials or they're not telling you who they are. You know, um, like our website has our LinkedIn profiles on it. We're, we're not in any way trying to shadow ourselves. So anyway. No, it's a great point. It says the guy in the, in the wig with the sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how do you know it's a wig? Oh, it's good. I mean, good, in good high point. school, I had hair down way, way past my shoulders. I dig it. Now, you bring up you bring up two interesting things. I want to hit on two things that are fascinating to me. So that makes sense because I'm reading about this service, TFS Lite. And so basically what that is, it's take you on file service, similar to the Hedera file service. You have a effectively like 
um, an L2 network leveraging Hedera consensus service for your network's consensus. So you're it, you're kind of doing what people in the community have talked about before. Is like, oh, you could make a network that leverages, um, you know, Hedera consensus service for the network. So is that effectively kind of what you're doing? Exactly. We're like the first ones who have really kind of done what was been suggested. So we, I don't know if anybody knows this. It's not really. It's an open source stack from Hyperledger. It's the Linux Foundation. Right. So. Okay. So the original project that we built ours on was called Sawtooth, and it was donated by Intel. So originally, when Hyperledger brought in IBM, they brought in um, Intel, they brought in some big corporations to kind of build you know, an open source set of stacks called Hyperledger. But there's different chains. So we modified and created a long-term support version with some partners over the last three years so that it could be put in a cloud and people could trust it if they're going to use it, it's not going to be like just a a, sample, a science project, which a lot of GitHub code is. It hasn't been really tested. Um, so when we say blockchain, we're using an actual blockchain, but it's not a blockchain that has transaction fees or a stake, stake network or anything. It's a private blockchain. So when we, when we run our public blockchain, it's still going to be permission nodes, but it uses the public Hedera network. And so... It's a little hard to understand, but but the reason why we do that is we can't use anybody else's blockchain network and pay the ridiculous fees to store the data. We just use Hedera consensus service to, to timestamp everything and make sure that all the inputs and all the chunks of data going into our blockchain are completely 100% correct. Okay, so two two questions one i that's that's most important for me to ask that i think is on a lot of people's minds is so you're talking about um entire computer file systems you're talking about a lot of files on those systems you're talking about chunks of files and logging those interactions on hcs so maybe this is a this is a this is a this is a tough one but is Maybe can you give us a sense of the scale or scope of this this use case, even just in the beginning, and and even if possible from the perspective of transactions to the Hedera mainnet? Yeah, well, you know, th there's all kinds of quotes, you know, about data growth and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I have to look every time. So I just went and just looked with the latest because I used to give out figures. But 120 zettabytes were generated in 2023. Jesus, Murphy. I, the growth rates of data is, is the ridiculous part. So, like, if we're, if we're talking about super low fees and we create, say, we take a gigabyte file, a video or whatever, just say a gigabyte as a, as a yeah, that might be that might be fifty chunks of fifty HCS transactions. Um, now imagine you're you're talking about if we had one percent of the hundred and twenty zettabyte data market. You know, you can do the math on it. It's it's a ridiculous. Our our business model is very simple. We're the way we've structured our company, even though we do totally different things, is like quant because. We we just use we just use H bars or US dollars to basically charge for either, you know, you, we could change it to object based fees where it's a, you know, if you have an NFT, we just charge you fifty cents to store it permanently. Um, or we or we do it by the month, we do it by the year. You can do any kind of those 
those calculations, but our model is very simple. We only have one way of creating revenue, which is we, we charge to store the data, just like every other data storage company. Yeah. So there's, there's nothing different about that. And the whole reason to tokenize it is, is the, all the benefits of that is that we can literally like the idea of us creating a tachyon token is already done. I mean, we, we don't, we use H bars instead, but if we had tachyon tokens, then those would be used just like in quant, how quant uses Ethereum is how we would be using Hedera in the future. So um, there's all kinds of benefits of that because now we, you know, we're able to create transactions on the network and we're able to live in the ecosystem of Hedera. And, you know, I, I, can't, I always tell my, my business partners, I'm like, you realize the power that comes with getting involved with it's at some point, if we were like thinking about, you know, the data storage business is, is dominated literally like, like nobody else exists other than Google and Amazon. Right. I mean, they're, they're the guys who really kind of run the business and, and Apple. So what would, like, if we were wanting to, to build a, a strategy of how we're going to move up, you know, how are we going to get into mergers and acquisitions or be acquired someday because we don't have enough money to compete with those guys. I mean, we've already got one of those people on the the um, governing council. So if we do what we what we say we're going to do, and we do it, you know, and we demonstrate credibility over the whole process, which we've done so far, we just haven't been publicly able to build a product and put it on the market yet. Um, one of the possibilities is us getting integrated with with somebody like one of the GC members because of because of the just the hugeness of this of this problem. You know, I mean, we certainly could probably run our own network in per, in perpetuity if we had enough treasury to do that. Um, but time will tell. Yeah. And maybe a little more specifically, um, is that 10,000 transactions per second threshold going to be a problem for you guys? Um, what tens I sends transactions for? No, I, I, no, I think um, that because they have that, they have oh, that it, throttle, right? You mean currently? In, yeah, in that current, current throttle, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, um, when I read the original tests, and this of course, of course requires the concept of sharding, where we can get into all kinds of uh, geekery, that you can probably get more to like 100,000 per shard, but I think it, it really depends on, on all of your criteria. But no, that's not going to be an issue. Um, if it does become an issue, I don't know where we would go because I don't really know anybody else that I would trust enough. I'm more, I'm more so, I'm more so asking, are you guys going to be doing more than 10,000 transactions per second? Wow. Um, easily could see that happening, but that requires me to project into the future in terms of right. market. And so I tend to not like to do that unless I'm a little bit closer to seeing the metrics on that. Like, yeah. like, like from a hypothetical standpoint, easy. Yeah. Hey, I'll take a hypothetical standpoint. I mean, um, we're talking about static data. We're talking about data at rest here. I mean, no one's really even thought about how to do dynamic data in transit, but data in transit would, that, that would be, <laughs> I mean, you could do that without even flinching. If you look at just the amount of data that's collected from autonomous systems around the world and smart grids and whatnot. Um, but we don't even do that right now. We, we don't even try. We have, we actually have a patent, um, called rotating packet services that 
allows us to protect the data while it's going from any node on the internet to another node and make sure that it cannot be compromised in, in between. But again, that that's that's in the future. Right on. Okay. I oh, know I love this. I think that this is this is such an exciting, cool use case that you're, you're right. There's so much nuance to it and there's so much complexity, but you do a really great job of breaking it down. And I think once people kind of get it, they're like, oh, crazy. And another element to that, something that you kind of referenced, you reference Filecoin, you're indirectly, indirectly referencing IPFS. Are you talking about a potential alternative to IPFS? Because th this is a this is a hot topic in kind of the broader crypto community about um, storing files with ordinals permanently, and then the 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 concessions you have to make with that, and storing files maybe on the Hedera file service or what have you, and versus storing files on IPFS. Are you talking about a potential alternative to IPFS? It's not even talking about it. It just literally is just wow. another way to do it. Because like, you know, when, when, if you think about like the current players that are out there inside of Hedera secondary ecosystem, like Hashpack and those guys, they're, they're using probably Filecoin. We just want them to, to either have an alt, you know, what we want is let the users decide what they want. So if they got a choice to use Filecoin and Tachyon, they can, they can choose between the two. Um, I don't know why anybody would choose Filecoin a after we launch our network, but right now it's fair game. But yeah, there, there, there's not a complex, it's not a complex decision-making thing. It's, you know, do, who do you trust and, and who, who looks like it's going to be like, it's going to be like, like all of our files, even on our test net, when you want to retrieve it, it just it just comes up with a global URL and it's just a web address and it, it reconstructs your file and you just click on it and you get your file back. Um, but the difference is instead of clicking on it and then you're relying on an entire decentralized network of nodes to be able to collaborate and say, we're going to give you your file back, you're just getting it back retrieved from a cryptographic hash on a single, I mean, on, on multiple nodes, but on a blockchain. And again, the Hedera file service was created just to kind of like, I think, store small amounts of data. Yeah. Um, things like titles and stuff, maybe like that. But it's it's not going to be economic to do it that way um, for anybody um, that wants, wants permanence on a blockchain. It's going to be real hard for anybody to replicate that. That's a great point. So this, just to kind of put a nail on this is, this this is cool because what people have looked at in Hedera is this little bit of a, a trifecta of services, right? HCS, the consensus service, HTS, the token service, and then HFS, the file service. And it's like, wow, we have everything we need, but the file service kind of lacks a little of that firepower. And um, a lot of these other services available, as you've kind of laid out, or just aren't optimal. So this, like the, the this TFS service like the taking on file service it kind of steps into that role and for for a person on hedera for let's say a, an nft creator or somebody like that this is maybe that missing puzzle piece that comes into the picture and can unlock those possibilities and work in the ways that they expect and relieve a lot of these hot topic pain points that are being talked about in these communities yeah and the other thing is we can we can you can opt in to encryption um, on the light version. On the enterprise version, it's it's encrypted from the beginning, and you you can on it. You have to have your keys to unencrypt it. 
Um, I would also say that um, the the use cases are actually are actually pretty simple, but there's a difference between the TFS Lite Web three version and the enterprise version. And we're what we're doing is you know, when I like when I see good ideas, I just kind of run with them. Like I think Hedera got the Hedera improvement proposal from the Linux Foundation. And you basically, you know, you present a bunch of things and allow, you allow the community or the, you know, people, the users to def define what's needed next. And so we are going to set up, that's the next thing we're going to do next year is set up um, on our GitHub. We'll, we'll probably call it tips, tacky on improvement proposals, but we'll essentially what we're trying to do is make the light version replicate all the features of the enterprise version because the enterprise version um really has things that are so unique that, you know, um, imagine, you know, I, I used to talk about this, but the, the reason why the enterprise version is so powerful, why, why, why taking the whole file system and putting it on a blockchain is that once you do that, let's just say you have a real-time electric grid operator running thousands of uh, millions of electric meters and substations and control centers and they've got all this software running it. They've got maybe maybe they have a hundred computers at the at the control center running it. Well, if you go to them and say we want to take all your data and we put it on a blockchain, they go, "Yeah, get the hell out of here, clown." Right. But right. what we do is we just ingest all that data once, and it becomes a block. Their file system becomes a blockchain, but they don't know it. And so dynamically, millisecond to millisecond, all the changes that are happening on that system are automatically protected on on our system. That's that's the difference of what we do and and just saying take the data out, put it on a blockchain. We're we're on the enterprise version, we're actually taking the so that so the user doesn't even know that they're running on a blockchain or care for that matter. All they care about is I don't want my data to be compromised and the 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 most ridiculous part of this whole story is that People just generally don't care about stuff until they've been breached or hacked and or they've lost money. Like a lot of people probably don't understand that that all their personal information was lost four years ago by the major credit agencies. And then Ledger loses all their customer data. I mean, come on. Ledger's supposed to be a web three secure company. And then they then they start start talking about how they have your keys and they so there's a lot of stuff that needs to change in this industry. And we have the technology stack that even though we claim, you know, you, you can try it out, it's it's actually pretty easy to use. It's a couple of clicks. In the background, it's like it's kind of like kind of like the Google algorithm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, but the usability is literally drag and drop your files. Um, or if you had, if like if you want to take your whole, I don't know what people have Macs. I mean, I have a Mac. I've had Macs for the last 10 years, but I've also had PCs and Linux machines. Um, you can take your entire hard drive and dump it onto Tachyon right now. And that means that your entire hard drive will be protected. Now, it's not going to be the enterprise version where dynamically everything that changes, you're going to have to update it. But in the future, we're hoping to get maybe... 80% of that functionality into the light version. Because right now it's just a really secure way to store data. That's why you said Dropbox in the beginning. People understand what that is. Um, so what you're talking about is it's it's, it's kind of like, it's the difference between um, going 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 back a little bit, but there was a service called like 
um, Carbonite, and then there was, and then we've got Google Drive. So like, there 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 were those services where you would just periodically, you know, update your drive to mirror your computer and just back up your stuff. But then you have Google Drive these days where it will stream you f- your files. So for example, in my Mac Finder, I open my Mac Finder, I see a lot of folders and files, but they're not actually on my computer. They're streaming from Google Drive. And when I drop stuff in there, so what you're talking about is initially this is kind of like, um, for lack of a better term, like a manual backup solution on the light version. But hopefully in the future, you'll have more of those kind of streaming capabilities for things right inside of your your computer. Yeah, look at Hedera when it first launched and now look at it now. How many more features and bells and whistles and roadmaps. So we'll be adding a lot of the things, dropping them back in of, from what we have in the enterprise version, which is all private on the public network. It's just going to take us some time to build it out and to build it correctly. But that, but the vision, I mean, if you think about it, to, to one takeaway from this that I want people to get is that think about Web3. Web3 is built natively on blockchain, right? And blockchain-associated technologies. Nobody else has, has even built, I mean, these decentralized storage systems are not built on blockchain. They use cryptographic hashes, they use proofs, but the only reason why they have to use a proof is because if it was on the blockchain, they, they would they would have the proof right there. They would know nothing to calculate, right? They they have to do all these proofs because they're not on a blockchain. So I look at it like, why would you even think about a world in the future of Web3 built on blockchain without the data storage mechanism being built on the blockchain? It's that right. simple. No, that's that's a great point. What I don't want is all of our competitors to hear this because it's like I just give them good ideas that they probably don't know. But um, so hopefully this will stay in the Hedera ecosystem. It's just it's just us and a few maybe maybe with the recording a few hundred close friends. But this is awesome. I I, I have a, a bunch of other stuff I want to get in with you. I just want to check in with you, make sure. Like, how are you doing for time? Like, do you have some some more time for this? I have I have plenty of time. It's a Friday. I probably have another at least a half an hour, if not more. But I, I'm I'm more concerned about the the audience. But um, I guess they can always listen to it later. So yeah, the, uh, absolutely. Yeah, real quick, I just want to say, um, uh, just give a quick word here for for different supporters of the show. Um, the Hashgraph Enthusiast uh, show averages about 500 listeners every week on Spaces and hundreds more on podcast platforms. And over the years, I've covered every major Hedera news event, unpacked almost every juicy rumor, and hosted countless in-depth discussions with important figures in the ecosystem like Dave here. And I've been able to do it all of it live. I love it. If you'd like to support the show, consider making an HBAR contribution like many folks in the community have been doing, even a few bucks add up. You can send your contributions to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. And there's a little post pinned to the top here for folks listening live with that info. And all that info will be in the show notes on podcasts and stuff that you can send a tip on Galaxy or whatever. Get all the info you need about the show at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Um, I want to ask you about kind of partnerships and stuff like that. Um, I know that you've that there's been a lot of names thrown around, but could you elaborate on Takeon's kind of collaborations with these kind of like academic institutions, corporations, like the U.S. Air Force? Like, what's all that stuff about? It's very exciting. I'm very curious. So, um, there's there's two separate things. There are there are innovation capital funding mechanisms like the National Science Foundation, Department of Energy, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Air Force, who uh, with the Air Force, we actually prototyped 
a system to protect data and encrypt data that was in uh, Air Force test ranges. And a lot of that was um, stuff we can't talk about. But um, that's the that's using the enterprise version. So the partner the partnership opportunities in the in that space I think are more around. They could be users. Um, they could also be node operators. I don't know. There's all kinds of issues that have to go with with that. But it, it, if this is open source stacks, um, I I think that at some point, if you look at the U.S. government. And the way they manage their data, I mean, it's a little scary right now about how the nation states want to get all their data. So they're, they're, they're potential users and partners, I guess. Um, you know, we, we've certainly partnered with Hedera. We, uh, we, we, we partnered with um, blockchain technology partners, the Global Blockchain Consortium. But, but those are all kind of soft relationships like the blockchain technology partners. Um, with them, we can sell an enterprise version or at least provide a free version and for evaluation on Amazon Web Services. Um, but in the future, and our focus, I know this sounds a little a little strange, but we kind of were were funded and built out of this, you know, highly credible group of organizations that also put us through some pretty serious peer reviews. Any anybody who gets a small business innovation research grant from either DOE, DOE Department of Defense. Or National Science Foundation has to go through a lot of due diligence, way more than anything I've ever been put through in just running, you know, going after VC money. And essentially, they send it out to the experts in the industry. It could be academic. Um, I know Car Carnegie Mellon looked at our stuff in the early days, and, and they review you and they score you. And if you don't score well, they don't give you the funding. So we've been through the ringer on due diligence. So that's not partners. But in the future, you know, um, we're going to get back to the enterprise version. But unlike Hedera focusing on enterprise first and then going into crypto, we're kind of reversing that because I, I, I believe that the, it works a little bit differently. And I'm not criticizing Hedera's approach. It's just that that's what they've chosen. What we're going to do is we're going to build this out as a multi-chain, uh, first in the Hedera ecosystem, but clearly this is multi-chain, right? I mean, the world is multi-chain. And we want to be able to prove this out within Web3. And then we believe that after we gather a large user base in, inside of Web3, we can go to the powers that be in the enterprise, the governments, the mission-critical data people, and say, look, look what we can do. Look at how many people are using it. Look how, how um, valid mathematically our system works and then maybe have a better chance of building credibility and convincing them. The other way to do that is to raise, you know, a half billion dollars and sort of fake it till you make it. But we we're probably going to hybridize all those things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the we're really believing um, for me, um, the vision from the beginning has been, this whole thing has to operate within Web3 infrastructure, including tokenization, including all the power that comes from being able to use digital wallets and all the infrastructure. I still don't even understand the potential for us to partner with some of the other players in the industry like DeFi. Um, but I, I know that there's like we're, we're, we're in the process of trying to reach out 
to different Hedera ecosystem partners outside of the, the obvious ones like wallets that store NFTs. Um, but if you think about any Web3 company that had that's storing customer data, I mean, we can we have a solution right now that, that can stop that data from being compromised. And um, clearly it's not working in, in for the rest of the world. I mean, if you just read the number of data breaches that happen every day, it's just like, wow, why is this happening? There's no reason for it. So I just kind of gave you kind of our strategy moving forward, I guess. <laughs> no, no, that's great. And I just want to say too, again, just, just to kind of, I think, hammer that point again, I think that if you're really looking to capture that Web3 crowd, I think that um, when you look at, again, you're referencing NFTs and creators and people who need that file storage to like grow their businesses. And as you said, like depend on those things to last forever, immutably. Um, I really think the the number one pain point that you're directly addressing is the issues surrounding NFT file storage on IPFS, the arguments between do we do it on Bitcoin ordinals or do we do it on IPFS or do we do it on Hedera file service or what what have you. I really think that positioning yourself as the as a real like um, superior alternative to IPFS is a really really strong messaging for for Takeon. Mm -hmm. But but and the thing that I want to do differently around that is use the. I agree with your messaging, but the part that I have lost faith in is Web two marketing. <laughs> Because I, right. I, okay. I come from that space. I just don't think it's relevant anymore. I think what I want to do, um, if we're lucky enough to move into the next phase, which means we will get some Web3 um, investors to move this forward. And this would be prior to us launching our, our mainnet. Um, first of all, there's a couple of unique things that I want to do. One is instead of being the kind of company that, that does a token raise and then tries to go build, build a mainnet, We've built most of our technology stack, and so all the money we're going to raise would be equity-based and maybe converted to tokens when we launch our mainnet. So theoretically, the regulators would have nothing to say to us. Oh, we didn't, we didn't okay. use the money. We didn't use the money to build a network. We used government funding, innovation. Don't call it government, and in the future, just call it innovation capital. Okay. Um, but the second thing that's unique is I want to really leverage Web3 marketing and Web3 sales tactics um, because um, I, you know, I don't necessarily believe that a lot of the corporate press releases and all that has a lot of impact anymore because it just doesn't get out to a lot of audiences. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you can always do that as a secondary approach, but I clearly want to use, and we haven't done We've done very minimal, if anything, you know, related to marketing so far because I'm very conservative and I want to be able to tell people about stuff when it's when the time is right. But clearly, I want to use all the different Web3 infrastructure to actually build the awareness building part of our um, of our, you know, for so for people can know about who, what we are and why they want to use us. I want to use I want to use Web3 for that. Um, so I think it's not unique per se in web three, but it's unique for companies that are funded the way we were funded to kind of go. And, and by the way, the national science foundation has a whole group of, and they're like almost a mission impossible to get money from related to distributed consensus and all these blockchain, but they are a hundred percent supportive of us 
kind of breaking through the mold and doing something totally different, by the way. So they're like 100% backing what we're doing, which is really kind of cool because they're like a very conservative science-based organization. That's fascinating. So what you're really talking about when you reference Web3 marketing versus traditional marketing, like, you know, press releases and, you know, albeit pretty like snoozeworthy type stuff, um, what you're talking about more is like um, being active on X or engaging in Discord or leveraging um, Web3 messaging protocols. You're, you're talking about more of that forward-looking, fast-moving, um, social type of uh, marketing, really. Yeah, like all of our distribution partners will be Web3 uh, ecosystem players. All you know, There are good influencers out there. I mean, unfortunately, influencers have a bad name because every once in a while or maybe the majority of them are just you know they're just not credible people and they, and they're only making decisions based on what they have their token balance right but they're not all like that and um that you know i, I think there's going to be a, a change in the whole sentiment around this and that as the industry grows up and and um that a lot more people are going to be wanting to spend money in in this area but i just want to leverage that and I don't, I don't, I just don't see the value of trying to go out and do press releases and do the yeah. traditional hiring sales guys and you know people travel around the world. We're going to use much more elegant, much more effective strategies to do when when we start, you know, in the in the growth phases of our company. You want to have a product people can't help but recommend to their friends and tell people about you. Like it's organic. It's like there's a great saying where. If you want to know if you have product market fit, unplug your servers for a day and see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's really the tokenization that's maybe it's more tokenizing the marketing might be a may, maybe better yeah. way to get directly to it. Because, I mean, that's what um, what really what most people that I've met in crypto at at the, you know, say they're at the wherever you want to call them. I mean, to me, the people who are the the people who participate in crypto are the original gangsters and the ones who are the power behind crypto. It's not the other way around. It's not looking at CZ, Binance, and all these people at the top saying, oh, they're the ones who run crypto. It's from the bottom up. And so most people that I've met, and that's that's a lesson I learned at IOTA. I mean, people want to help and they want to be part of it. And if you tell them, if you help, you're going, you're going to be compensated for that on an equal basis and everybody's kind of like working to help each other. That's the most beautiful part about crypto that I see. I saw it in the, I saw it in the early days and it's still something that the, the corporate people still don't understand. And maybe they're threatened by it too. You know, it could be that they're threatened by it. I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head. And I think it's something that's talked about a lot is it's that just, it's that disruptive quality, this kind of stuff that freaks people out. And I wanted to I wanted to kind of just like maybe this is this is a funny question but it was just on my mind is what's the story behind the name Takeon? <laughs> I'm curious. Okay, so because we have these crazy patents, one of these patents is called Rain Cloak and we can with that patent we can take a bunch of computer nodes that are running all over the internet and basically they shape shift so quickly by changing that that there's no way to ever find out where that node actually is. And so that was the one of the patents we had. The other one was this rotating packet service which allows us to kind of shape shift and make it so the data transit transiting across the internet cannot be compromised or seen. 
So the part, the tachyon particle was a hypothetical particle that moves so quickly, people can't see it coming or going. <laughs> it was like an Einstein thing. And, we, and the original tachyon was in like Star Trek and it was all this super, and I just thought it was the coolest concept because it represented at the time kind of what we were trying to do. We were building like all these technologies we strung together were designed to make it so that someone, a, a hacker or attacker couldn't figure out what's up and what's down because it's, we're moving it around so fast. So that that's where tachyon came from. And then I took the phonetic spelling of tachyon. So if you, if you type in tachyon and look at the phonetic spelling then I went and I said, Oh, I, I better, I better like um, protect this and I better get the URLs and all that. So that's that's the how we came up with that name. It's kind of it's hard. Most people don't even understand how to pronounce it. It's like, is it tachyon? Is it tachyon? Um, and you know, it's got the the T A E is the phonetic spelling of, of a tachyon particle. So anybody who's into like you know sci-fi would would love it. Anybody that's into what that means would love it. That's that, that's that's cool. I always love knowing that, especially when it's a when it's a quirky name. I love kind of knowing the story behind it um, and everything. So that's really cool. Now, uh, I've I've got a couple other things I want to talk talk with you about, but I want to kind of maybe land the plane on uh, on on take you out a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about what the future looks like um, for you guys. Um, can you give us any kind of insights in regards to like the roadmap or what are some major upcoming milestones or are there any major milestones that have happened recently that, that people should know about other than just the HBAR foundation article that came out? Yeah. So the roadmap is we, dem we successfully demonstrated a product called TFS Lite. It's a, a, a Google Chrome browser. You can download it from Google Chrome. It integrates with only one wallet hash pack and it runs on the Hedera testnet. The roadmap has us launching the mainnet version of that so that because we're sensitive to people not wanting to spend a lot of money to store their data in the early days because this is still a beta, um, we'll probably make it something like, you know, give us 10 H bars or give us 10 H bars and you can do, you can store 50 files or something like that. So the cost is nominal, but we want to put real transactions on the Hedera network. This works now. We just haven't sent out the new update. Um, so that's in the roadmap. The second thing in the roadmap is all kinds of improvements and, and features that we're building. The, the the real part of my roadmap that people should be aware of is we're working with Headstarter and, and we haven't talked to Hashgraph Association and HBRAF Foundation peripherally about how we're going to um, raise some more equity that can be converted to tokens so that the real milestone that people should care about is when we... We mint tokens and we launch our mainnet because at that point, then all the stuff that's operational now will be running on a mainnet. It'll be, it'll operate the same way the Hedera network does. There'll be an explorer. We'll have mirror nodes. We'll have uh, the ability to look at, well, the ability to look at that Hedera transactions as we can do that now. I mean, it's currently available. Um, so that's really the big, for, for us, that's the big milestone is all the things leading up to us launching the mainnet. Um, so precursor to that is, is raising some, some convertible equity to tokens, which we're, we really haven't started yet, but we're kind of in the process where Q1 of 2024 is when we're hoping to close that out. And again, that will be, um, 
that's that's the big thing that's going on because right now everything that we currently have works it's just on the test net and the next step is it'll be running on the main net and um the third step of that would be actually when when i say main net i mean the hedera main net the third step is running it as our own main net still using the public hedera network uh, main net. right that makes sense so there's there's kind of these stepping stones that come into place and really what it leads up to is that that kind of main one of everything switching over um, tokens becoming available are you going to be doing these tokens on the hedera token service um yes absolutely yes it, it'll we don't know the name of the token yet but um you know the we we've already have our structure around treasury and the tokenomics and all that and i, I would say that I've, I've learned a lot since 2017 in the tokenomics world <laughs> right about what works and what doesn't so we're we're clearly planning on trying to be on the very reasonable end of of launching with a really good tokenomics story from from the start i would also say that if there's people within the cryptoverse that are good at what they do um, are across different industry, across different dis disciplines. Um, we're kind of transitioning. The big milestone we're doing is we're transitioning from an R and D kind of, you know, we're building all this great technology to now productizing everything and getting into Web three more. And so, part of my strategy is to bring on board, um, after we raise some more money, some other uh, players in creative marketing. And people that know about you know tokenization and and all all, all that works, and some other roles that we're going to be wanting to bring on board that we currently don't uh, have on board. We don't have a lot of web other than myself. We don't have a lot of Web three um, knowledgeable team members, and I want to I want to kind of really bias it towards two 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 departments. One is software engineering, and the other one is you know people who understand the cryptoverse. It's really important to me. So I would say that anybody that listens to this in the future, maybe wants to reach out, they can send me an email at dave at tachyon.com. Tachyon is spelled T-A-E-K-I-O-N. And also anybody that wants to, maybe this is something you're going to ask later, but we can repeat it. But anybody that wants to get part, to be part of the beta that didn't sign up in the beginning, or maybe it didn't work first time and they changed their mind, is send an email beta at tachyon.com and we'll make sure that you get included into all of the future um, stuff, including the mainnet launch. Again, that's beta at tachyon.com. Tachyon is spelled T-A-E-K-I-O-N. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. It, 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 you know, without sounding cheesy, it's like, you're correct. It, there's this original, there's this original vision of Hedera where you would have these kind of L2s built that would leverage the consensus service and kind of these new networks and these new communities starting up. And it's like in a, in a little kind of mini way, it's like, it's like, feels like the beginning days of Hedera now where it's like, you know, just as, you know, Mance and Lima were probably telling people that, you know, send an email to me and I'll get you in on the SAFT or whatever, you know, it's like, it's these early days. It's, it's exciting. It is. And I've learned a lot from Mance and Lima too. Don't get me wrong. I, I think a lot of, um, what I've learned from the Hedera uh, experience um, is either jointly kind of we're on the same wavelength from the beginning or, you know, things that I want to copy, <laughs> um, you know, because 
from the early days, I clearly did not. I wanted to copy the way Hedera did their. A lot of people criticize their tokenomics and everything, but if you look at the longer picture, it's actually it was kind of designed from the beginning the way it was supposed to be, which is a lot of people weren't prepared for the idea that you're building a real company here. You're not building something that's just going to pump and dump, right? And um, we're clearly on that same wavelength of this isn't a pump and dump type thing. Um, and and I, I would say to anybody that gets involved with this, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to, you know, I understand the conservatism of Manson Lehman about not wanting to talk about things that are, you know, overthinking statements and whatnot. But we, from my perspective, everything we've done so far has been with integrity. We've done it with peer review. If I can't launch a mainnet properly, I just won't launch it. Like, you know, right. I can't I can't 100 percent promise anybody that next year or 2025 we're going to launch our mainnet. It's in the it's in the queue and it's it's the intent for us to move that direction. But if I can't launch it properly, I, I won't launch it because I, I, I refuse to have a mainnet that's running. That's not going to get you know, it's not going to be a rug. That's what I'm saying. Um, But. That just means that there's risk involved in in all investments, and I'm telling people that up front. No, that's what this space is all about. It's about transparency, honesty. Like that's how you build trust. Is just being honest with people. I, I appreciate that. And um, just as we kind of get to the end here, because because this has just been such a fascinating conversation, and and I appreciate the uh, the candor with everything. Is I want to maybe get your take on something that's been a big conversation in the community and it's regarding kind of governing council members for, um, for Hedera. And this is, you know, as we all know, quite a few uh, members are nearing the, the uh, end of their terms and we expect them to renew and continue, but some will expire. Um, we haven't really seen um, any new governing council members at it for a while, but we've been made aware you know, by key figures that, you know, Swirled and Hedera and the Foundation Association that there is, you know, a, a quote unquote massive pipeline of new governing council members. Um, and there's and there's there's people are given their takes and opinions on, on both sides of this. And someone with your expertise and familiarity with these types of processes and working with organizations like this and everything like that. Um, I was just really curious of like, what was, what was your sent? What's your sentiment on this? Are you kind of in the camp of what's going on? Why are there, you know, not more governing council members being added, or is there maybe a more sensible take, uh, to kind of, kind of what's going on? Well, I guess I'll throw out a few disclaimers. One is we said, you know, we've discussed the fact that I was an early advisor after about 2018, when the mainnet launched, I really wasn't actively privy to any information about what was going on internally yep. with Hedera. So, so I make sure that's clear. Um, second thing, um, the, the second disclaimer is that I'm a strong believer in um, negative feedback that's designed to help keep the ship operating. And I've tried my best over the last, since 2017 to, to input criticism, but the industry, this industry, a lot of people take that wrong, and and they get very upset if you if you're not like just drank the Kool Aid and and agree with everything. Um, I believe like some resistance. I still have some resistance to the concept of my resistance is to the 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 GC members, which I think maybe it's moving in this direction, maybe it's not, and maybe there's nothing I can do about it. 
is I don't think they should be incentivized. The, 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 the GC member board members should not be paid until they start making money, first of all. And that would solve the problem of which ones are active, which ones are doing something, because if they're not getting paid, you'd see them probably disappear really quickly. Right. One. Um, the, and, and, and the GC has a really, you know, a very valuable, really, I mean, almost, a, you know, probably an equal basis to the Hashgraph algorithm in terms of importance, in terms of building credibility. But if you're talking about who's making the decisions on the risk strategy of who's going to, you know, who's going to live or die here in the future, these guys don't have enough skin in the game to really be making those calls. And so I guess I'll say something kind of provocative because a lot of times I say things even on Twitter and I think I'm surprised people don't get very upset with me about some of the things I say because I kind of sound like a broken record on things until I get fixed. But I, I seriously don't really care about new GC member announcements. There's enough diversity in the nodes globally that I feel confident that it's as a permission network, it's not going to go down. I'm more concerned about getting community input. And so <laughs> I'll just say straight up, I would love to see more dialogue and more talk and more people talking. And I know Elizabeth has, is, is really interested in this. And she's been great at trying to, you know, make a lot of things happen. Um, you know, and and not just her. There's a lot of people that I think agree are on the same wavelength. I would like to see a community DAO be beyond the council. I know it's kind of a crazy idea, maybe to, to the these corporations. Well, the the idea of a governing council to begin with was crazy. And I'd like to see community nodes like everybody else. Like like they'd like to see that two years ago. And I, you know. I, I get the the sort of conservative approach to oh the network can't be broken if if we allow that to happen, but this is so critical right now to get the community is really smart. I mean th this is where I differ. A lot of people just think I've heard over the years so many people say the community doesn't they're they're just idiots they don't know anything. It's not true. I mean if you look at the founders of of all the the original crypto heads, these are some really smart people. And you can't just discount their inputs because they're they've been operating in an in an industry that's been around since 2005 or even earlier, if you go back to the originals. And so the concepts of distributed, you know, all the different things. There's a there's a different way that things how different things work. I'm not clear. Like to me, if I were to say a GC member should have two criteria. One is they they're expected to have some skin in the game in, in terms of they're going to put people on the board on these council meetings on a regular basis and if they miss they're going to be maybe taken off the council because they're not contributing second one i think manson lehman have already taken care of this one which they're requiring maybe this is the hardest part is getting an enterprise to agree to a use case is like mission impossible like literally like to do something totally new and approve of it takes a long time within a corporation. So it's really fascinating that there's as many council members as there are. I think a lot of people just wouldn't didn't believe this could happen. So I'm okay with the current council. I would just like to see the community listened to on a serious basis. Like not just, you know, um, tell us what you think, but allow us to actually vote on things. Because if you look at a lot of other projects, there, there, there are a lot of other projects talk about governance 
And you can't just go wild, wild west and say just everybody has an equal input and you just let it run without any supervision. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what's the next step here? It's getting getting community nodes and getting community input on the decisions made by the council. Again, some people are going to hate me for when I'm for, for saying this. Some people are going to think it's cool. I think I would say that the vast majority of people in the community agree with you. But again, it all depends on how you, um, you know, define community. And I think that a concept I've talked about on the show a lot, my thought on it is a lot of people go, well, what's the indicator of growth of this ecosystem? What's the indicator of moving towards success? And in my mind, the reality is for better or for worse, is we have these, you know, ironically, because of the, the, the shared worlds concept, we have these two separate worlds, right? There's one world that is enterprise, um, governing council, all these different types of topics we, we you, you know, you, you touched on. And then there is this, you know, community decentralized degen um, world, and they are kind of separate. And to me, it's that it's that delta between the two. It's that space between the two. As it shrinks, I think we get closer to the success of this network. And, you know, I think that there have been some good moments. Like I, I interviewed um, Shyam, who's on the governing board of Hedera through IBM and and those different types of things. So there's conversations happening, but really it's it, it, it's it's that general sense of being left out of the loop, right? The, the the meeting minutes are published a month or two after they happen. The community feels behind. It's 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 not even just being included in decisions, but it's it's just basic information flow. It's just understanding what's happening. I think that I agree with you, and I think that most people would agree with you that that's definitely um, an issue. That arguably this network that champions the concept of shared worlds. <laughs> really is operating in two completely separate worlds, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, and I think that's a great, and just what you brought up community nodes. I have, I have kind of one other kind of like hot take question for you because I, I, I think that your, your insights are, are fascinating and I agree with that. Um, it's on kind of like permissioned nodes, which for folks unfamiliar is kind of like there's, there's like these, you know, there's going to be, you know, Anonymous nodes, community nodes, permission nodes. Permissioned nodes are kind of like the next step past like just governing council member nodes. And this is a topic that I'm really fascinated your thoughts on because this is something, you know, I and the community have been talking about is kind of like, well, if a governing council member were to leave the council at the end of their term, right, which is coming up and there's a couple that are that are up for that, maybe one might, how would they continue running their node? Or is it assumed that their node would go offline because if they wanted to keep running their node, wouldn't that necessitate the activation of permissioned nodes? And I know everyone's talking about community nodes, but like there is this step in the middle. I was kind of curious of what your thoughts are. Like what if a governing council member exited the council right now in the new year? What, what, like, would they be able to continue running their node without permissioned nodes in place? I don't think so because uh, no, it's structured right now that you have to go through the motions and be a council member to run a node, which is fine. But permission nodes would allow anybody that's permit. It's still, I mean, community nodes would still. The first phase is still permission. You still have to get permission. Yeah. It just means you don't have to be a council member, which I think is really important as a strategy. It's it's an equal importance. I, I still think the voting power of the community. 
um, needs to be directly connected or coupled instead of it being sort of, you know, separated. Um, you know, one of the potential, I, you know, being an entrepreneur, when you're, when you're building startups and you've done it a couple of times and you succeeded is you realize that you have to manage forward thinking risks, right? And, you know, one of the risks of running the Hedera network and not changing anything over time is that what if the Hedera network was doing a trillion transactions a month and the, and the price performance wasn't any different? The risk isn't in in the in the the price directly. It's in the differential between the people who are bad actors or technically inferior actors um, having a hundred times your market cap and be able to go to all the big corporations and say, "Play with us because we got the money." That's how the world works. Unfortunately, that's the risk. Is that? Um, you know, so the question is, when is are are we going? Are they going to realize that their particular strategies and everything are not working? What's the what's the metric which would say you can't just count TPS because yeah. of TPS because a TPS does not get past the point where it can generate enough revenue to cover costs. It's it's meaningless. And if if someone, I don't even want to mention names because I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody that's made investments in other projects, but I can think of a handful of projects that I can't even imagine would ever in, in the real enterprise world ever be an operating company that have 10 to 20 times the market cap of Hedera. And that to me is scary. The second, the other thing that's scary is when the, when the stack is open source, um, some DAO coming together, taking the, the Hedera open source Hashgraph algorithm and just running a competitive thing and running circles around it. Not, not in, 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 um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a risk, right? Has anyone ever thought about this? I think, I think honestly, you're, you're, I think you're really touching on a topic that's, I think at the top of mind for everybody right now, because something people ask me on, on, on X just, because you know I have followers to the show and stuff as they ask me all the time is like um you know why with all this great news and growth and this and that why isn't the price of hbar going up and of course I can do the like well you know it's like amazon in 1999 and that's what uh, that's what you know value capture opportunity is is a, is a lagging and it, but then there's the other side to it which is there is there's the reward side but then there's also the risk side yeah, it th those those theoretical things about don't worry, it'll all be taken care of. Every time I hear that argument, I I realize because I'm sure there's people that have been in this industry much longer than I have. But my as I said, I started in 2017. Um, the markets, the way the markets value a company is something that you have to take into account as priority number one. And then secondly, you think about all the other things. So if, if if Hedera is not being valued in the market and doesn't understand why they're not being valued, but just thinks that don't worry about it, it'll all just take care of itself, that's not a risk averse strategy. That's just a that's just kind of a, a hypothetical assumptive strategy, which I don't necessarily agree with. That's why I'm saying my my comments on this are um I wish it was more balanced. And I wish that they would try out alternatives instead of, you know, we, we're just going to go down the the very 
risk averse from the SEC regulatory standpoint and, and what the corporations will, uh, will accept. And we're just going to now play around with some new tactics. It'd be really interesting to me to see how quickly things would change along those lines, because in this next bull market, I'd love to see everything totally on our circle, but I'm, I'm seeing weird signs from, from another network that's broken all the time, just getting way more popular during this time period. So hopefully, I, you know, the other part about this, Brandon, is that we could talk about this all day long. And we really, we really any, could. <laughs> unless there's any sort of agreement, that's why I think that, you know, that if you want to ever build a another completely separate, you know, uh, get a discussion group, Sign me up for talking about how the community can try to convince the 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 GC and Swirls that to try some new things. It, you know, when I say improvement proposal, I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about improvement about how you how you address and how you educate and how you build awareness around Hedera. And most of it, to me, is when I say build awareness, is it's just taking away from all the misconceptions and misinformation that's been promoted against Hedera. And that wasn't something that they caused. No, but I, th I think that, that's a great, that, that's a huge issue. And oh, it's, it's I would huge. like to discuss it further, but I don't want to, I don't want to really spend any more time on that here unless you want to, you know, you want to continue the topic. That's fine. <laughs> well, here's the thing is like, when you talk about, Hey, is there a group to talk about this stuff or get those things out there? For me, that's the show, right? I mean, um, a lot of listeners of this, of this show are, you know, governing council members. Like, for example, just uh, a couple episodes ago, I had Rob Allen on as a guest who's on the governing council and, you know, just shooting the show with him. And it's like, so they listen to this show, you know, hi, everybody. Um, but that's really what this is about for me is, is kind of like, Having these conversations, that's what it's about. Maybe that's a good idea, Dave. Maybe it's like in the future I do a special episode that's a little more like a round table. Like we'll 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 just we'll we'll maybe grapple with a couple of these high level topics. Um and kind of kind of just like I could moderate a little bit of a discussion on some of these things and kind of see like what are some of those opinions? What are some of those ideas? What are some of those outcomes? Because that's that's really interesting. I think it's if if there was ever a good time to do that, it's now. Yeah, I mean, here, I mean, here's a real concrete example of what I'm talking about. You hear conversations about mind blown from we're doing how many transactions a second we're doing. Why isn't anybody paying attention? Well, it's not a it's not a hard question to, to answer. If no one even knows in the crypto sphere, everybody thinks that the crypto is controlled by these whales who just make things happen. But it's not that simple. I mean, that the power. Some people have done some math on this and said if everybody in the state of Texas had X number of tokens, there'd be none left. The power of num the strength in numbers of of retail is unbelievable if you if you tap it. And so the answer to that question is very simple. If if you announce to a group of people that you're transact you're doing a trillion transactions, but no one's listening, you you shouldn't be surprised that they wouldn't value it, right? Because they're they're either either have been convinced that they're fake and there's been a lot of great people who put a lot of energy including myself helping to dispel all those myths when 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 the funsters come in and they say 
oh, those are fake transactions. And all the people that have collaborated on this know exactly who I'm talking about and who the players are. They get involved. Uh, I don't want to call anybody out particularly, but there's been a lot of really great um, uh, people who have contributed to this. The community is the best I've ever seen, by the way. It's the, it's the coolest community. The, the issue is when people are still asking that question, the, the disconnect to me is so simple. It's really mind-boggling. It's that it's really just who knows about what you're saying and who understands what it means. So if someone, if, if, if some random crypto person who's an investor hears it and then sees 50 comments about it's fake, the first thing they're going to tell their friends are, it's all oh, those guys are just fake. You know, and it's obvious if you look at it, they're not, they're, you know, they're not, um, they're, they're not on, they're not on position number 15, whatever. It's all, it's all misinformation or it's misunderstandings. And I just think that should be addressed as priority number one, because if that gets addressed and it, and it gets, it turns into value, you've now, like, let's just say we, we did rise up the market in uh, 10 and we stayed 10 positions ahead of where we are. Do you realize how much more money the HBAR Foundation has, how much all the players have, how much more the, the council has, how much more Swirls has to operate with? If you think about it from a risk perspective, it's the only thing I would focus on right now yeah. because, of, because of the upside. But again, I mean, um, I said what I had to say, and I'll probably keep saying it for the rest of my <laughs> <the rest> <laughs> No, it's a no. It's it's a honestly, it's a great it's a great point. There's so many different ways to look at it. I think that that's a great uh, perspective, and I I think you'll find a majority of people in the community um, agree with you. And so, I want to land the show now. But before we do, I wanted to I, I want to ask you a question that I ask a lot of founders, which is, what advice would you have for founders in the Hedera ecosystem? It is a very challenging ecosystem to start a company or a project with often limited resources, especially right now. But one I believe, and I think you believe holds a lot of opportunities. So do you have any advice or insights um, on lessons you've learned or mistakes you've made that would be helpful for people just getting started with their own projects or companies in the Hedera ecosystem? Yeah, but I guess it's probably just more my experiences, you know, building building ventures and scaling them and starting them up is that kind of the two principles to me is really think through if you can stick with through thick and thin the idea that you're promoting because people you come up with a lot of ideas and they sound exciting but the first you know first two or three times you get smacked to the ground if it's a really strong notion and you're just convinced you know it's the right one you're going to figure out some way or another to make it work you know it's all about power of intent really i know it sounds a little new agey but it's it's serious um and the second one is if you can't raise enough funds to run it at some point you got to give up and say look i i tried but i i did i couldn't do it i mean it's kind of like almost uh defeating the first thing i said but you know proof in the pudding is you have to be able to pay people and you have to have enough funds to kind of operate and if there isn't the resources to do that then you got to kind of really question yourself. Um, I'm not trying to give this pie in the sky, just come up with an idea and it'll all work out. It's not, that's not how it works <laughs> for me. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think the, the other thing is that I think 
I, I keep going back to the broken record is that what I want to see in this community, and I see a, I see a lot of really positive progress just on the Twitter sphere of the community coming together and supporting each other. Because I think that's the missing part that I didn't have when I was building companies, you know, 10, 20 years ago, is having this whole ecosystem of people that will support you, um, whether or not it's just giving, sending a good word out or, you know, like stuff that you're doing. I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing this. And then when they started doing it, they didn't even know how they were going to benefit from it, but they just believed in it. And I think that's the part that just be one of those people who tries to help contribute and you'll probably get you'll probably find you get help from other people. Uh, Dave, this has been awesome. Um, what a great conversation. And it was really amazing to learn about Takeon and um, the really getting a really distilled idea about what it's about. I think I left this conversation. I started this conversation kind of like this seems exciting. I don't think a lot of people know as much as they should about this. And I, I can't really kind of grasp what this is about. As you could probably tell by the tweets I was sending about it, it's like I was trying to, you know, throw stuff at the wall. Like it's like this or it's like that. But now I really kind of get the idea of how it could maybe fit into my life and kind of what it means for the ecosystem and kind of what's what's happening with it. So did a really good job of kind of breaking that down for everybody. And then it was just nice to kind of take a trip down, you know, good old Hedera memory lane and and uh, just have some real talk about what's going on and kind of what the future looks like. And I think that these are the types of conversations that are really important. I hope a lot of people listen to this episode because I think that uh, it's a really good one for, for so many different reasons. So I really appreciate you making the time. And I wanted to say if there's any um, last kinds of call to actions you wanted to give or shout outs or anything like that, um, feel free now, just kind of uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, quick summary. Um, first of all, Brandon, you're really good at what you do. And I, I really enjoyed being being on your show, I think you do a great job of it and bringing out, you know, in a different way than almost anybody I've ever actually worked with, um, been in a positive way. Also, I wanted to thank everybody who's been listening to this without being able to actually talk. It's kind of tough. And anybody in the future that listens, I guess I would repeat that if anybody wants to collaborate with us, um, they could uh, either contact me through my Twitter, Anonymous Dave, on Twitter, um, Dave at tachyon.com is my email, um, as well as if you want to sign up for our private beta, which will be running on the Hedera mainnet um, as soon as we decide to launch that part officially, um, send an email to beta at tachyon.com. And other than that, thank you very much. I'm real excited about our future, Hedera's future, anybody that's building on Hedera, um, it's, it's an exciting time. And I think, like I said, I think we're, we're kind of in a train right now in a dark tunnel, but I can see the light at the end <laughs> and, um, things are going to get quite a bit better for everybody. I think. Love it. I think, I think that's a great way to end it. So, um, that was Dave from take Yon. Um, and what I'll do is I'll just wind down the show now and, uh, before uh, before I kind of share my quick thoughts on everything, um, big shout out to everyone listening live on the spaces right now. Another shout out to everyone listening to Apple on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and YouTube, and an extra shout out to all the supporters of the show. I think I share uh, you know my thoughts with Dave, which is um, with challenges come a lot of opportunity. I think that's really what what Take On's all about is it's about looking at these problems and challenges as real opportunities. 
I hope that the governing council on uh, for Hedera really has that same outlook. Maybe they're looking at things that way. Maybe they're working towards those things. I was being told they've moved slow, but maybe they're, they're moving in the right direction. But I think there's a lot more that could be done to kind of bring those worlds together. A community DAO on the governing council, I've heard it many, many times, and uh, usually the most exciting, funny uh, uh, you know, outcomes are the ones that happen. So I, I imagine that we'll see that in the future, hopefully sooner than later. And with that, that's a wrap for Hashgraph Enthusiasts, episode 103, um, an interview with Dave from Takeon. Live on Spaces and available on all major platforms. Uh, I've got another interview coming up next week, so stay tuned for that. Also, make sure to catch the weekly Hashgraph Enthusiast news every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific live on Spaces, and in all those other podcast places. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, you can send an HBAR contribution to enthusiast.hbar. And uh, you can you know, just send it with your Hedera wallet. The full Hedera address is in the podcast show notes. Um, and uh, you know, you can get, do what you need to do. There's also a post pinned to the top of the Spaces here with all the info in there to contribute to the show. Get all the info you need at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. A bunch of information about this episode will be available there. I'll have some show notes and some other information about some things we talked about. And as usual, for everyone listening right now, if you see someone you recognize, send them a DM right now. Ask them what's new. If you see someone you don't recognize, um, again, reach out. Let's stay connected. Make sure to follow Dave. If anyone else is doing um, interview shows out there and everything like that, have Dave on the show. Um, just a, an amazing guest um, and a wealth of information. Um, and with that, hello future, goodbye past. <laughs>